so the pakistani constitution allows people the state does not do anything by itself but it puts uh, the responsibility of uh, promoting revitalizing and saving these languages on the people not on the state that is the tricky point of the pakistani constitution uh, i am zubair torwali i am based in the swat valley the swat ghati and i have been working for the promotion and revitalization of the endangered and lesser known languages of north pakistan for the last 15 years and i'm subhashish the host of this podcast o foundation conversations a podcast by the o foundation where we try to understand the unique nuances of communities languages and cultures and their social and political conflicts You'll hear about a wide range of perspectives on marginalization and exclusion through a lens of openness. This podcast will surely interest you if you're keen about the diversity of communities, especially the marginalized ones, and how they're striving to represent themselves in the digital world. Did you know that the 9th of August is the International Day of the World's Indigenous Peoples? It marks the inaugural session by the United Nations Working Group on Indigenous Populations that has been working for protecting the indigenous rights since 1982. As social, political and environmental changes often put indigenous communities under risk, this day of many things is also a reminder for everyone to protect the rights of the indigenous communities. And access to information in one's own language is a fundamental human right too. In this episode, I'm talking to Zubair Torwali, a prominent language activist from Pakistan whose efforts in the last 15 years have helped protect and promote his native language Torwali and 30 other indigenous languages of, of northern Pakistan. Communities that live in the mountainous region speak diverse local languages and have their unique cultures, but protecting their own cultural heritage has been always difficult for the locals as they find themselves in the middle of both domestic political issues and long-going territorial conflict between Pakistan and India, with China playing a role as well. I got to know about Zubair when he was hosting the Asia Langs online Twitter campaign that Rising Voices Digital Empowerment Foundation and us O Foundation have been collaboratively managing to promote the digital activism for languages by activists and practitioners from Asia. Welcome to the show Zubair. Hi Subhashish. So tell me more about yourself and it would be great if you can draw the landscape of regional languages of Pakistan, particularly the indigenous endangered and less known languages of the country. I am based in the Swat Valley, the Swat Ghati, and I have been working for the promotion and revitalization of the endangered and lesser known languages of North Pakistan for the last 15 years. I have founded an organization, Idara Barai Taleem Utrakki, which means Institute for Education and Development. And this organization has been working for the documentation revitalization and promotion of the endangered languages especially my native language torwali which is spoken in the bahrain town and the its valleys and the swat valley of pakistan so uh, our main focus is uh, torwali along with the uh, 30 other indigenous and endangered languages of north pakistan by north pakistan what i mean is the upper khyber pakhtunkhwa the northwestern frontier province uh the hilly parts of that province and the part which is like uh, a semi province of pakistan the gilgit baltistan region so uh, in this region in this uh, north pakistan there are Uh, nearly 30 endangered languages spoken by indigenous communities and some might be uh, migrant communities in the uh, in this area most of these uh, endangered languages are of the indo-aryan family belonging to the dardic subgroup of languages my torwali language is also one of those languages So uh, in Pakistan uh, we have uh, 
according to ethnologue 77 living languages spoken while uh, glottlock uh, estimates uh, 83 such languages in pakistan uh, in pakistan the five ma major languages are well known among the pakistanis and probably uh, among many people living abroad or foreigners uh, these are the punjabi pashto balochi sindhi and of course urdu and urdu is the national the single national language of pakistan while punjabi is the widely spoken the most widely spoken language of pakistan second is pashto third is sindhi and then comes balochi and then comes uh Hinko and other languages so the lesser known languages uh, by lesser known, I mean those languages who, which are not known to the general public of Pakistan and nor do, nor are they known to the international community um, uh, besides the linguists who have been working on these languages in the uh, past uh, few decades. So what kind of constitutional provisions exist in Pakistan for the protection of languages? We know one thing about policy making. The reality is very different when it comes to the implementation of policies. It would be great if you can share how that is in the case of the regional languages there. The Pakistani constitution allows everybody to practice, to promote, to undertake work on its, uh, his or her language and culture, especially the Article 28. Uh, that allows people to use uh, their culture and their languages in the public domain. Uh, another article that is 251, which also allows the provinces to make the provincial, so-called provincial languages as a media of uh, instruction in schools and ed education. But again, this article is subject to that no such uh, law could be passed uh, which can suppress the uh, Urdu, the status of Urdu as a national language. So the Pakistani constitution allows people, the state does not do anything by itself, but it puts uh, the responsibility of uh, promoting and revitalizing and saving these languages on the people, not on the state. That is the tricky point of the Pakistani constitution. And give us a sense of the language communities that you work closely with. As I told you that my main focus is the languages spoken, the endangered and lesser known languages and the communities who live in the North Pakistan. The languages uh, spoken in the North Pakistan, some of them are uh, spoken by a few hundred people, while there are endangered languages in North Pakistan, which are spoken by millions of people. So these languages, and uh, few of them are Balti, Brushaski, Shina, Khawar, Torwali, Gauri, Gawarbati, Dameli, Yidgha, Kalasha, Palula, uh, Gauro, Chilso, uh, Mankiali, Indus Kohistani, and some uh, very uh, very least known languages uh, uh, in the in north of Pakistan. As I told before, that my work is particularly focused on the endangered languages and the communities of North Pakistan. In North Pakistan, as I by North Pakistan, I mean the Upper Khyber Pakhtunkhwa and the region of Gilgit Baltistan. So, in this region, there are more than thirty languages, lesser known and endangered languages spoken by the indigenous communities living in this part of our country. Uh, some of these languages are Balti, Brushaski, Bateri, Indus-Kohistani, Shina, Torwali, Gauri, Khawar, uh, Yidgha, Kalasha, Dameli, Gawarbati, uh, Chileso, Gauro, Mankiali, Dumaki, and some other uh, are included in the list. Uh, these languages are spoken in this uh, in the north of Pakistan, uh, and majority of these languages are Dardic uh, Indo of uh, the Indo-Aryan Western family. 
but there are one language that is uh, language isolate the brushiski is uh, is uh, classified as uh, uh, a language isolate while balti is a tibeto burman language uh, and there are a few uh, iranian languages in iranian languages as well for example wakhi yedgha madakhlakhti kamweri uh these are indo iranian while rest of the languages they are called mostly called dardic languages of the of the indo aryan western group so uh the communities who speak these languages uh, uh, the number of those people the who speak these languages vary from few hundred to uh, millions for instance Uh, Mangyali language is spoken by five hundred people, while Shina is spoken by more than five hundred thousand people, and Khawar is uh, spoken by uh, the same number as well. So you know, Shina. Some of these languages are also spoken across borders in Afghanistan as well as in India. For instance, Shina is also spoken in uh, India as well. For example, Shina language is spoken in Gilgit Baltistan and also in the eastern part of Kohistan region in the uh, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, while it is also spoken in the Indian Kashmir, where it is uh, spoken by a few people, um, by uh, a large number of people. Similarly, Brusheski is also spoken by a few people across the border in India, and Gorbati is spoken in Chitral as well as it is spoken in uh, Afghanistan. So these languages, uh, Wakhi is also spoken. Wakhi is spoken in Tajikistan. It is spoken in China. It is spoken in Pakistan. It is uh, so. Uh, these languages uh, are spoken across borders as well. So, what has been sort of some of the key reasons that have contributed to making these languages more vulnerable? I'm sure colonization and systemic oppression have played a pivotal role as well. Uh, as far as uh, the question of endangerment, why these languages are in danger? Why uh, they 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 are not promoted? To, so the the answers lie uh, in in history in socio economic situation in socio political situation and also in socio cultural uh, status of those people so you know that uh, these communities were living sharing uh, on the living on uh, in the in this area which is also Known as uh, the area of Hindu Kush, Karakoram, and Western Himalaya, and also the Pamir uh, ranges of uh, range as well. Endangerment of these languages is because of a number of factors, as I told before. Uh, historical factors uh, is uh, in the past, uh, uh, in tenth century onwards. Uh, uh when islam came to this area this area of high asia and south asia so these communities were they had their own world views their own indigenous re- religions like the kalasha uh, religion uh, culture is still practiced by the few thousand uh, the kalash people in chitral in south chitral so uh, mm, at that time these uh, people this area was known as kafiristan the land of the infidels the land of the pagans by the then colonial powers so they stigmatized they demonized these people and then they invaded these people and the invasion was uh, accelerated in the 16th century when the Mughal empire in India and when the Iranian uh, empire of their time so they pushed their uh, men to these areas to the uh, they pushed their soldiers their jihadis of those days to this area to convert these people to islam or by force or to kill them these people so these people were demonized then stigmatized and then these people were invaded and 
uh, their power centers, the small states, uh, as a fellow states, these people had at that time, they were dismantled. The political power of those people, you know, of these indigenous people were, was dismantled, disrupted. And after that, uh, uh, due to that period of uh, colonization, the uh, these communities lost their power, political power, social status, economic, uh, they lost their lands as well. They were dislodged uh, by the invaders and they were pushed to, to, towards the high mountains. So the entire region from Lahman in Afghanistan, via Hindu Kush, Hindu Raj, then the Karakuram ranges, then Pamir ranges, and parts of the Himalayan ranges uh, in uh, Indian Kashmir. This region was called Kafiristan by those uh, ancient uh, colonial powers, uh, I mean the Indian Empire of that time, especially the Mughal Empire. So the Mughals uh, uh, had their frontmen uh, and invaders in the form of uh, Yusuf Zai Pashtuns and also people from Tajikistan and from Iran. So those people, they came, they invaded these these areas of the indigenous people. They converted those people to Islam by force and also dislodged these people and drove them into the mountains, further into the mountains and uh, deprived them of their lands and uh, power centers. So these people were scattered by those colonial forces of their time. And these people took shelter in different valleys and gorges in the north of Pakistan. And gradually, uh, by the time this first generation is gone, then the second generation is gone. So these people lost their identity as well. And they lost their uh, connectivity as well from each other and they get isolated in the valleys uh, as though uh, as a, in uh, their time there were no uh, roads uh, only they used traditional uh, high passes so to meet e each other and by by this uh, um, process they lost their identity and gradually they lost uh, they lost their uh, languages and their they had their different languages Still, the language is still spoken by these people uh, are the remnants of those ancient languages or language clusters which is still uh, which are still spoken by few uh, people of those communities and many are converted to other languages dominant languages and, and they are not known ethnically to these uh, people but because of this uh, uh, brutalization of uh, greater empires this these people lost their land their economy their culture and their languages and the languages what we have now uh, spoken by these people we are fortunate enough that uh, these languages uh, some parts of these languages are transmitted to orally from one generation to another generations and they had no writing they they, they they were not left with any writing system. Their writing, ancient writing system was destroyed and no books were available at those time. So these people, so there was no, the languages were only in the oral form. And because of that, as you know that, if a language is not written, if there is no literacy in any language, so it, uh, loses the prestige. So literacy in writing uh, brings prestige to a language and it can develop the language further to other generations. So this was uh, the historical factors, uh, the, histor histor uh, the invasions uh, undertaken by various empires and the regions on these people. Uh, the other, and when they were, uh, and after the partition, these people were divided uh, across borders as well. So uh, gradually, uh, as I told you that these people were living and are still living in gorges and valleys, uh, 
locked by mountains so they also lost connectivity with each other one community cannot connect with the other community because of these geographical factors as well uh, the other factor, as I told you, that literacy, these languages were not written. There was no rigorous writing systems in these languages. And the people uh, were left poor, were left marginalized. And um, gradually they lost confidence and self-esteem and identity as well. So there, these people, many of these people were described by those colonial uh, not only the British colonial uh, people, but before them, the Indian Empire, I mean the Mughal Empire and associated uh, states. So they, they describe uh, these people and they ascribe, uh, or we can say that they put an identity on these people. So um, these people, by the time after centuries, these people were not known to any other people. But uh, one factor we know that these people were known to each other by different names rather than the names given by the colonial powers, the colonial writers and researchers. And I can relate to that in many ways, Zubair, because here in India and many other former colonies, and also in many countries with a high level of linguistic diversity, indigenous languages are in danger where there is no clear effort for protection. Talking of that, policies play a very important role, and I'm curious to learn from you about the policy level efforts in Pakistan. After partition, when Pakistan came into being, so you know that we had a nation building project uh, based on one language, one religion and one culture. And that obsession with uh, the national building project by making Pakistan a national state in the sense of the European national state. So Pakistani state uh, did not give any attention to the preservation or promotion of this language because Pakistani thinkers and Pakistani intellectuals are afraid of uh, this diversity. And we saw that uh, just uh, 25 years after the partition, we lost uh, our eastern part uh, of Pakistan that's now Bangladesh. So because of that fear, Pakistan is still uh, confused whether to accept or recognize these languages, these different languages, because Pakistan is very much obsessed with the uh, nation building project, a uh, Pakistani nation, a vague Pakistani nation, uh, which is uh, uh, which was the norm in the past century. But after 1990, we saw a. Uh, 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 a regrowth, a regrouping uh, of uh, international communities, international, uh, uh, global, globally, the different nations and different communities. So they they began to assert their identity. They began to when the bipolar world became unipolar. So we saw uh, a, a growth for, uh, of the identity politics and identity uh, crisis again in the, uh, in the entire world. And this also affected Pakistan as well. And Pakistan was afraid of being this diversity. Uh, as you know that the Pakistani founders, uh, uh, they did, uh, did not like the idea of having more than one language in Pakistan as national languages. So uh, we have that legacy still going on because uh, the parliament or any other institution in Pakistan uh, does not like the idea of recognizing all these languages or the so-called provincial major languages, Punjabi, Balochi, Sindhi, Pashto, uh, as national uh, languages. And Urdu is still our national la uh, language and English is official language as i told you that uh, in the pa uh, in the past uh, two decades uh, especially after the 90s uh, we saw a, a growing interest of the international communities of international uh, of academia and of uh, different organi international organizations uh, 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 we saw a, a growing focus of these people on the endangered and languages of the world so that uh, attention was also paid to Pakistan as well and 
people also realized, as you know, that in Pakistan, even before in 90s, we had uh, language movements in Sin, language movement in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, now the, the then um, Northwest Frontier Province, uh, Bangladesh was uh, separated. I mean, Eastern Pakistan was became, uh, Eastern Pakistan became Bangladesh because of uh, uh, language movement. So uh, language movements were here in Pakistan as well. And when Eastern Pakistan seceded as uh, to become an independent country uh, in the name of Bangladesh. So the fear of breaking up Pakistan and other parts uh, uh, became very, very intense and it went deeper in the Pakistani establishment, uh, intellectual, uh, military and civil establishment, you can say that. So they, that's why they are not heeding to any voice from these communities for recognition of these languages as Pakistani languages or as national languages. As Pakistani languages they are, but uh, they are not recognized as uh, national languages. And there is no systematic work by any uh, government uh, in Pakistan. Oh yeah, there is uh, some some good work done by the the Sindh province uh, for the Sindhi language uh, and some work uh, was done by the Northwestern province, now Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province for, for the dominant provincial language Pashto. But uh, inside these provinces, there are minority languages. So these provinces uh, do not feel any any concern for those languages. Uh, but in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, uh, we saw in uh, eight years ago in uh, 20, Oh, 12, uh, 2012, we saw uh, an act or law passed by the provincial pro assembly of uh, this province, uh, which is called um, Promotion of Regional Languages, Khyber uh, Regional Language Promotion Authority Act. Uh, so that law was passed by the par uh, provincial assembly, but that uh, uh, authority was uh, not established and we have been advocating for establishing that, uh, that uh, act. But before, a few months before that, uh, I mean a year before that, the, the, Khyber, the then Khyber Pakhtunkhwa government uh, passed uh, a law that uh, five languages of Khyber Pakhtunkhwa would be uh, uh, used uh, in education and primary education. These languages were Pashto, Inko, Saraiki, Khor, and Indus Kohistani. And uh, after that, when new government came into being, so they made some books uh, for these languages for the preschool level for primary uh, grades, uh, but no such uh, rigorous. Uh, work was done by any of those governments and no interest was shown by these uh, uh, governments. Uh, so uh, you, you, you can say that in Pakistan, we are still in a state of limbo, uh, whether to accept these languages or not. When, the, when a bill uh, goes into the federal parliament of Pakistan by some uh, member of the parliament, uh, it is blocked or it is uh, uh, rejected by the parliament or by sub, uh, by the subcommittees of the parliament. Many times we saw that uh, there were bills that 10 languages or 12 languages or 9 languages of Pakistan could be national languages. Uh, the widely spoken languages of Pakistan could be national languages, but those bills uh, were not made any, uh, were not turned into any act of law. Yeah, and I think the situational languages that are not official or national or are protected through policymaking is no better in many other countries. And that's very concerning. What's more concerning is how indigenous and endangered and minority languages are treated in several countries. So when public policies don't favor local communities and, the, and their languages and cultures, communities themselves work towards the same, whatever they can do in their capacity. How are things locally in your region? Despite all these hurdles and mishappenings, we 
have been uh, having some community initiatives uh, for the last two decades uh, with uh, by different community people uh, like uh, our organization IBT Idara Barai Taleem Utrakhi or FLI Forum for Language Initiatives and such other organization particularly to specific communities so they started work uh, on the promotion and documentation promotion and writing up these languages and also using these languages as uh, media uh, instruction uh, in private uh, initiatives so we have uh, now in the north we have uh, six um, mtb mle mother tongue based multilingual education projects going on in torwali and gauri and in kohistani and balula and in in kawar and and in hinko so uh, these projects are going on in north and some of some projects similar projects are going on in the south in sindh as well so uh, these are private initiatives by private organizations or individuals and there were individuals from these communities who also undertook some research work and some uh, ma- making some dictionaries uh, and uh, writing the uh, folklore of these uh, uh languages and also some people started work on writing uh, some historical accounts of these uh, communities uh, uh, but all of those uh, accounts are based uh, mostly based on the uh, accounts uh, written uh, given by the colonial writers by colonial i means the writers before the british government uh, indian british government uh, even in the mogal uh, uh, dynasties uh, era and also researchers from iran as well so uh, this is uh, the situation the current situation of these languages as i told uh, that uh, we have some good initiatives going on uh, in some of these communities and also we recently formed uh, uh, mcc mountain communities collective uh, uh, in a conference uh, in our area in bahrain swat where we resolved to continue work on for the empowerment of our communities so as i told you that if we want to self revitalize and promote these languages so we need a holistic approach not a single sided approach but an integrated approach because a language uh, is very much related to the socio economic and cultural and also political position of a community so that is very important so we uh, uh, under uh, under the mcc we are now trying to empower to generate knowledge to generate discussion generate generate uh, some dialogues among these communities of the mountains of pakistan or you can you can call it high asia so that uh, uh, these communities could be empowered uh, politically educationally intellectually and they could be connected to each other uh, and so as to give them strength uh, for their demands so that's one approach other uh, uh, and there are approaches that uh, people uh, linguists from foreign countries come they trained some activists some people in the communities and they started writing the languages and they, then they started literacy in these languages but that's that's good but that not that's not a long standing strategy because language is not an isolated thing it is integrated with uh, um, socio political socio economic uh, and, and cultural uh, status of a community Indeed, you summed it up really well. When it comes to the use of many indigenous languages on digital mediums, there are certain challenges. Tell us about the entry-level barriers that you have been experiencing with your focus languages. Uh, when we started writing our languages, um, I mean when we started work uh, for bringing our languages in the written form, so we faced another challenge. we started the work on writing these languages while the world 
was uh, was becoming very global and it was changing to a digital media so we were in the uh, written media we were struggling for that and the world lived uh i stepped further to the digital media so we faced multiple challenges and that as well so for instance in torwali we have written books we have written uh, grammars we have written dictionaries we have uh, collected folk tales we have collected folklore and we have we, start, we started uh, some school some pre school for children or primary school for children in their languages but sure at the same time we see that people are not sure giving the interest they need to uh, to give uh, to their language because of other factors as well the socio political and socio economic uh, things and how are the technical challenges and i guess while sharing that you could also talk about what exists for torwali and other languages of north pakistan so we we began uh, and uh, as you know that the digital age uh, also posed uh, some technical uh, issues for these communities as well uh, even though the internet uh, uh, helped these communities connected with each other i mean and for instance uh, uh, about 35% of the torwali people have permanently migrated to the cities of karachi i mean the big cities like karachi lahore peshawar quetta hyderabad etc so the internet uh, reconnected those people with their or uh, their origin of uh, their, their native uh, communities and back in the uh, their native lands so that's uh, that's a good thing of the digital uh, age but at the same time it posed also some technical issues because when we uh, began to write these languages so obviously urdu is written in the uh, persian arabic script so we had to follow that script as well the majority of these languages had uh, made the writing systems that developed the writing uh, orthographies and the persian arabic uh, script so uh, some character some new characters were uh, created i mean uh, made for the special sound in these languages so these characters are not written uh, by uh, i mean they are not uh, technologically friendly with the modern technology like computers and uh, right phones internet etc but uh, still uh, as you know that uh, Persian Arabic even for Arabic language and Urdu language uh, there's also a problem digitally for them to for these languages to be written uh, and used widely used in the uh, digital age uh, but uh, again uh, these languages now as i told you that the when we were struggling for writing our languages the world uh, took a step further to did the digital media and the major the, the dominant languages were used in the popular uh, electronic media uh, print media as well as on social media and internet as well uh, so uh, that's uh, one problem for us but <coughs> for Oh, oh, in some of these communities, for for instance, in Torwali, we developed uh, an Android uh, keyboard uh, with Google for the for writing Torwali uh, on social media uh, so using Android phones, and we uh, started work on documenting and promoting the culture, the indigenous culture. This was also endangered, and that that was also influenced greatly bad. influenced by the uh, global onslaught of uh, popular music uh, and popular culture so uh, and also some extremist uh, elements from these communities as well that they didn't don't uh, like uh, the, uh, the cultural elements of their own communities so uh, but we tried to document our ancient songs uh, we uh, tried to present them in a good uh, video in audio form to the communities so as to revive the folklore and that worked well uh, 
because uh, you know that when you want to promote a language so you have also to promote the culture and other factors as well for our benefit uh, some international organization like summer institute of linguistics sil international uh, developed some software some apps uh, for documenting and recording these languages uh, that also help many academia uh, around the world as well as uh, individuals and uh, private organizations like ourselves so we also use those apps and those softwares for the docu- for documenting writing and developing our languages as well and uh, the other uh, digital uh, platforms we use is social media so we promote our languages through social media and with the uh, and youtube is uh, a, a great opportunity for our music uh, uh, i mean from gilgit baltistan we see many uh, scores of youtube channels by different people who upload their musical songs on those channels and that was distributed and liked by many people similarly we also do from our part uh, uh, on the uh, using uh, we also use youtube for uh, promoting our language and uh, our cultural songs and music as well so digital media can be of great help so digital media can be a challenge as well as an opportunity for indigenous and endangered languages as in this age of globalization growing globalization we cannot uh, remain isolated from the digital age so uh, most of the you know that most of the uh, use of the digital media is uh, either in the national language or in the international global language english but still there are rooms uh, for the endangered languages which can be used on this digital media especially the uh, the cultural part the musical part as well as also the documentation of these languages so using various softwares and various apps as well and using the and building i mean making the keyboards for these languages so that could be a great opportunity for these endangered languages to use the digital media for their languages the other thing that through digital media now people uh, are well connected with each, each other i mean the the the, the re- entire region uh, the gilgit baltistan swat indus kohistan chitral and deer the the people living over there i mean those people who are somehow connected with their community and who somehow want uh, um, their uh, to learn their history want their, to know about their past so they they are now connected with each other through this uh, digital media and internet services um, uh, social media as well so this is also a good opportunity for these uh, uh, communities to use uh, digital media for their strength for their networking for uh, building literacy in their languages for promoting literacy in their languages as uh, i told you that uh, for language like uh, thorwali we have developed the android keyboard with google and which is now used by the thorwali uh, youth uh, on social media as well that is really exciting In essence, I hope that more interesting content is created so that young speakers take part in using their languages in digital mediums. Now, countries that share borders today often have many shared languages because of a shared history. So, tell us about such languages in Pakistan and what kind of collaborations do you see between diaspora communities living in different countries? Uh, as for the cooperation across uh, borders i think uh, you know that uh, language is politics uh, language is ideology so you know punjabi is a major language of uh, sub of the subcontinent so in uh, a- across the border in india it is written in gurmukhi uh, uh, while in the uh in the western side it is written in the perso arabic form so the same language is written in two different forms so that's the uh, that divides the uh, one community into two political entities so that's one problem and but i see that there is a growing concern and interest by 
people across the borders who think that their language is the same and script uh, a different script cannot divide uh, a language into two uh, that's also true for hindu urdu urdu or urdu hindi uh, hindi is written in the devanagari uh, while a hindustani language is written in the proper so arabic with more arabic and persian words it becomes urdu while the same language is written in devanagari with more sanskrit uh, sanskritized words uh, so it is hindi and while these people understand each other so this this is also the uh, same thing uh, same language uh, for me uh, hindi urdu is the same language with some lexical differences only word differences while its uh, grammar and structure is particularly the same so that could be uh, on the academia academic level you know that when uh, in pakistan when you talk to indian when you talk to when you go to india so you are suspected uh, as an agent uh, same is true for uh, in india when they come to pakistan when they talk to a pakistan when they talk to a pakistani so they are suspected as agents so this is uh, some uh, these are the some uh, political problem between these two countries which uh, is very harmful for the endanger and uh, other languages and cooperation between those people and you you can see that we have only one dravidian language that's brahvi and spoken in balochistan while you you can see many dravidian languages spoken in india and sindhi is also spoken in india uh, rajasthani uh, marwadi uh, gujarati these are spoken across the borders as well so that's the um, for we cannot do anything because of this political madness on both side by by very stupid populist leaders on both sides and their uh, respective establishments so what we can do that uh, on uh, international when we go i mean Uh, when indians and pakistani go to europe or america so they they are looked the same they speak the same language they feel more comfortable with each other as compared to others so people contacts could be a great opportunity between these two countries as well as between pakistan and afghanistan and between other countries as well as even and with tajikistan with kyrgyzstan azerbaijan and some other countries thank you for sharing that there is one last thing that i would like to request from you and that is to share some of your recommendations that you think would be helpful for others especially the indigenous language digital activists as for the recommendations so these recommendations could be on two levels on the community levels as well as on the state level so on the community le- level what we can do is to use the digital media to reconnect those in danger and ethnic communities with each other and building consortiums building collectives so as to further strengthen our network and our voices for greater advocacy for our communities and for languages on the state level on the community level the other thing we can do we can produce books collecting the folklore or folk poetry folk tales and folk songs into book forms as well as into audio or video forms so and to distribute them among the communities the other things we need some individuals or organizations that can carry work on writing the histories of these people write, collecting the oral histories of these people and writing those uh, histories in book book form or on audio form in video form to uh, to distribute among the people so as to build identity so identity is the the, the major thing which can accelerate which can empower the communities uh, so by uh, and when the communities are empowered so they can maintain their language and their culture so uh, that could be done uh, by um, producing books and by producing audio video albums and by uh, holding cultural festivals and festivities uh, that's uh, on the community level that's also possible the third thing on the community level is uh, uh, to 
organize some educated to young people on platforms on organizations that could carry work on the on documenting promoting and revitalizing their languages by writing by using them on social media by using them in digital media in audio video form this could be done on the community level and when uh, on the state level the state needs to recognize all these languages as national languages and the state needs uh, to uh, recognize the diversity uh, the state also needs uh, to change its uh, paradigm to change its ideology from the ideology of confrontation to the ideology of collaboration uh, you know that when you build when you are building a nation state so uh, it is obvious that uh, an ideology of confrontation for instance uh, urdu is a national language but when somebody educates for punjabi to be a national language so people thinks the 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 state ideology thinks that oh uh, it is replacing uh, urdu no so this is uh, ideology of confrontation while what we uh, what the state needs to do that uh, adding more languages is a resource not a confrontation diversity is a resource a great resource diversity can be used for creative economy for uh, developing tourism for developing uh, uh, nationness uh, i mean uh a harmony among the people and peace building so the state needs to to change its uh, ideology of confrontation to the ideology of collaboration so that's uh, the, on the state level and for that uh, uh, the, when the community on the community level these people are ne- well networked indigenous endangered uh, language communities are well networked and well uh, represented by organization and collectives so they can uh, they can convince the state to change their ideology and accept these people as uh, nations i mean by nations i mean that uh, not uh, the the political nation the passport type nation but uh, i mean the traditional nation nationness for instance uh, thorwali uh, they are living in a territory they are having a culture they are having a language so they are a nation so that's why the state needs to accept those uh, concept as well and uh, uh, there is there needs to be more uh, decentralization of powers uh, and the state should go from uh, the state should go uh, should be more federal than authoritarian Thank you so much Zubair. I look forward to learning more from you and I believe that our audience will be able to get inspired from what you have shared particularly from these recommendations. Thank you so much for giving me this uh, opportunity to talk to you on the situation of the endangered and lesser languages of Pakistan. With that ends this podcast of Old Foundation Conversations. I'm your host Subhashish. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to our channel in whichever app you're on. We are also around on Twitter at OFDNORG and we would love to hear from you. The background music contains samples from Freesound and details of the contributors are listed in the description. In the description, you will also find some resources for further reading that Zubair has kindly shared with us. This podcast is shared under a Creative Commons license called CC by SA 4.0 International License that allows anyone to use it openly, modify and redistribute with attribution. Thank you so much for listening.